This is the Institute for Music Leadership. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Create, Inspire, Lead. I'm Stephen Bigner. I am so excited about today's show. Uh, We've had a few episodes now where students have come up with the questions and conducted the interviews themselves, but I've always been the one to narrate and piece together the story. Um, And the original idea for this podcast was to have students be deeply involved, to tell the stories and raise the issues that they were interested in. Well, today marks the first episode which was put together by a student almost entirely. And that student is Pallas Catanella. And she researched the guest, came up with the questions, went through the raw transcript, and actually cut it together in a way that highlighted all of the things that she found important. And you'll hear me once or twice throughout the episode, but the main event, it's all Pallas. I'm so happy to introduce her, and I'll let her take it from here. Here's Pallas. Hello, I'm Pallas Catanella, a PhD candidate in musicology here at Eastman and leader of Working PhDs. Our group designs resources for graduate students in the humanities who want to explore non-traditional career paths. I actually don't love that word, non-traditional, because it's so misleading. It implies the existence of a feasible tradition. Makes it seem like this is a group for students who are wanting to break away from the pack and do something different. When in reality, non-traditionality is in itself the norm. Career paths are usually not linear. They're meandering and have weird prongs, and sometimes it feels like you're walking in circles. For musicians or academics, this can be a hard thing to wrap your head around, because music and academia are thought of as more linear. You work a good chunk of your lives towards one goal, to be a musician or to be a professor, And this starts in school, conservatory or grad school, where you have mentors and advisors, studio classes and seminars, rehearsals and symposia, which are all designed to give you practice in the exact things you're supposedly going to do once you leave school and enter the professional world. But, you know, it's becoming increasingly harder to find employment on these linear paths, something that has been catalyzed by the pandemic. Graduate students in the humanities, more broadly, are having to think about stepping off this linear path that so many of us have been on for so long. The path is paved, it seems easier to walk on, it's lit, you know what's coming in your future, you know what to expect. Having to step off this path and gaze out into the shadowy unknown that is the rest of the job market, that's daunting. But one of the ways to make it less daunting is to realize that this is normal. Many people have to and do figure things out on their own. And stepping off this linear path means you might be more likely to find ways to spend your life that are perhaps more fulfilling, more interesting than you could have ever predicted. And our guest for this episode is a fantastic example of this. Um, Hello, my name is Molly Sonsting and I'm Just honored to be here. Thanks so much for inviting me. Molly started as a singer. She received an undergraduate degree in vocal performance at the University of Minnesota. I was okay. I was okay for where I was. I was getting roles. It, you know, it felt like I was on some sort of journey that felt like, okay, I want to do this. I'd always wanted to be a singer. And I realized 
towards the end of my degree that putting academics, combining academics with my passion was really challenging. It sort of ruined the whole thing for me. And it took away the magic when I was getting graded for this thing that I care about. So when Molly finished her undergraduate degree, she decided to try something new. She wanted to stay somehow connected to the music industry, but wanted to approach it differently, wanted to reclaim some of this magic of music. So as soon as I finished my undergraduate degree, I I thought, how can I stay in the music industry, but kind of take the performance out? Molly moved to New York City, and she ended up finding work at a place most musicians dream of ending up. I started working at Carnegie Hall, which was such an exciting place to start my like real first job. Uh, I was working in the education department. So I was, you know, designing curriculum, putting on children, you know, concerts for families. Um, and it was such an excellent education to not only learn about like New York, first of all, and, and, and a concert hall, but how uh, a nonprofit really worked. The arts in New York, it was just like the biggest education I could have gotten. Molly continued to explore the administrative side of music. She transitioned from her position at Carnegie Hall to a new job at the Manhattan School of Music as an admissions counselor. Really learned a lot about how a conservatory is modeled. Um, It was another great education into another world of music that I wasn't really that familiar with. I I went to a, a university where it wasn't a conservatory, so I really learned how a conservatory operates. After just a few years there, she was promoted to director of admissions. And it was around this time that she also decided to pursue a master's degree in educational leadership at Columbia's Teachers College. And the goal at that point was to use that degree to continue working in in, in arts higher education and encourage young people and institutions to bake in entrepreneurial education in their in their coursework. I did my thesis on what are schools actually doing and are students leaving their finishing their degree really feeling like they have the skills to be more than just I am a musician. And so that's what that was I was super excited about it. I still am and passionate about that. And for a while it seemed like she'd found her thing. It seemed like This slight adjustment of path had gotten her to where she was supposed to go. But as we know, careers are not linear and they're full of moments that will take you by surprise. And I I, was working this job for for a number of years, growing in in my career, and I realized I couldn't really distinguish one day from the next or week or month. And I sort of woke up and thought, oh, what am I doing? What is this? Is this how the best way that I can add value to the world? So Molly took a drastic step. I just quit. I quit without knowing what I was going to do. I quit without knowing what, you know, how I was going to, what my next step was. Molly doesn't recommend this, of course, but it was exactly what she needed to do in that moment. She was fortunate enough to be in a place to have some time to start figuring out what she wanted to do. So at that point, I was really just saying yes to all sorts of things. What what did I care about? What was um what really like turned me on or helped like spark spark my eyes a little bit? While she was looking for that spark, Molly heard about a summer camp for adults. It was designed to help reclaim the whimsy in life and focus on truly being yourself. This sounded right up her alley. 
One of the ways the camp helped attendees discover their true selves was by removing a lot of the traditional ways that people often define themselves. You know, there was no no devices of any kind, no uh, no drugs or alcohol. You couldn't call each other by your first name, so everybody had a nickname, and you couldn't talk about work. And when you removed these these uh, boundaries and added other kinds of parameters. It was incredible how the, how everybody showed up in this way that was like everybody's an equal playing field. And, you know, the CEO of this company with a dog walker, with a teacher and, a, you know, a banker. We didn't know. It was just everybody there with, with different names and it didn't matter. And, and it was that moment where I was like, oh, this is this is something there's something there's something in here. How can I bring a little bit of this experience back to my sort of everyday life in New York. That's when Molly started to wonder how she could bring elements of this experience back to her everyday life in New York. So she just started trying all sorts of things. If I had an idea, I would just put it out into the world. I wasn't trying to make a business out of all these different projects that have now become bigger. It was more like, I've got an idea, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna try. Um, and I, I really, again, I got my, another great education by just trying. And I think that was how I got my sort of the entrepreneurial bug. Eventually, Molly's ideas became tangible ventures and outlets for her creativity. She started a variety show for first-time performers, a tiny s'mores company that would mail out canisters with everything you need to make bite-sized s'mores. She also created a series of secret games that took place in open public spaces. Or, you know, taking up, taking big teams and playing capture the flag in Grand Central with like a team full of, you know, investment bankers. It's wild to, to, to think about. Molly said yes to opportunities that seemed exciting to her, that sparked joy, and found herself working on all of these discrete projects with a general theme of finding that joy, finding the play, and doing activities with intention. Molly and her husband eventually placed all of these products and experiences they were curating under a company called Madcap Factory, a company meant to design, as they put it, amusingly eccentric experiences to build and engage a sense of community. So we just figured out how to do it. We figured out, you know, how do we, how we had to be our own like CEOs, I guess, you know, we had to, to really learn how to be our own, um, how to be small business owners. Her company, Molly explains, was built piece by piece pursuing these different opportunities that interested her until they came together under this umbrella of whimsy and eccentricity to create something that she would have never expected to create when she first set out on her career path as an undergraduate. Nobody taught her how to do these things. She had to figure everything out, figure out how to start a company, what paperwork to fill out, the taxes you have to pay. This wasn't in her musical training nothing she learned in undergraduate or graduate school. Which isn't to say that Molly fully left education behind. We were realizing that, you know, what are we doing that other people could, could learn from? How are we, how is our output so great that we could teach some of these skills to, to other people? So Molly and a couple of friends decided to try something. So we, essentially did this experiment where we gathered all of our friends into a, a like a co-working space for an eight-hour day on a Sunday and we took away their phones and we said pick one project to work on just one 
You're just gonna do one thing for this whole day. We'll provide all the food and beverage. You don't have to think about anything else, just show up. People came, hunkered down, and Molly and the others were amazed by the quality and quantity of work that everyone was producing. When you remove distractions and you're in the space of other people was profound. And so Cave Day was formed, designed around intentional deep work where participants pay a fee, show up, have their food and beverage supplied and phones taken away, just like in the experiment. The facilitator of the session offers a quote or thought that sets the tone of the three hour period together and participants each vocalize a tangible goal. They sort of claim and state out loud what they're working on. What is their intention for this three hour period? And it is, it's not just like, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna research. Okay, let's dig into that. What does that mean? What are you researching? What do you, what does finish look like? How far, how far are you hoping to get? And, or if you're writing, how many, how many pages are you actually trying to get to? Always knowing what finished looks like. Facilitators alternate between sprints and breaks, periods between 45 to 50 minutes of work, and then short periods of rest. The key, Molly explains, is to do everything with intention, to play with intention and to work with intention. Cave Day originally began as an in-person project in co-working spaces, but now, thanks to the pandemic, it has actually expanded into a global community. Cave days are held online in Zoom rooms. And as Molly and I were talking, one question kept popping up for me over and over. So we're recording this interview on Zoom in the middle of hopefully only a year long global pandemic. Um, and I imagine like I'm not the only one who's kind of struggling to think of this time in isolation, kind of working from home, being zoomed out as time that can be spent like meaningfully, like in meaningful play, like building meaningful communities and like exploration. I was reading the manifesto and I was like, oh, I, I miss all of these things. I wish I could do these things. But right now it seems like like it's not possible. But I imagine that that like part of Madcap is kind of like reframing that since like your whole philosophy seems to be like like reclaiming, reclaiming play. So I guess how how have the events of this this past year influenced your your philosophies with Madcap and and, and Cave Day? Like how do we how do we re reclaim the play and and make space for deep work given everything that's that's going on? Okay, before we get to Molly's answer, I mentioned the manifesto. Yes, Madcap Factory has a manifesto, and I wanted to share it because I think it really gives you a sense of what Madcap Factory means by reclaiming play. So here's Stephen with the manifesto. We believe play is a basic human right. We think new experiences can slow time and improve memory. We take naps seriously, and we take them often. We prefer high fives to handshakes. We play games because they build character and community. We explore, ask questions, and continue to learn. We wear costumes and dance before work. We make things with our hands. We eat cookies and we also eat green things. We schedule meetings in unexpected places and always bring party hats to birthdays. We send handwritten mail to say hello, I love you, and thank you. We believe time is our only finite currency. We believe in time well spent. So again, how do we reclaim play and make space for deep work in the middle of a global pandemic? 
It's interesting because I, I, you know, I have these two companies where Madcap is really focused on, you know, engagement and play and, and sort of creativity and individualism. And then on the other side, it's Cave Day that's focusing so heavily on how we work. And, and I do think that there is a, an interesting balance there. I think if you can learn how to work better and more effectively in less amount of time, the rest of your time can be spent doing other things, you know, more you can be more intentional about the rest of your time. Intentionality, Molly explains, is the key to work, to play, and everything in between. We have power over how we spend our time. And we have to, we have to act with intention. So intention, even intentional mindlessness, that's great. If you want to spend your time, if you're deciding, I'm going to spend my time getting lost in, in a Netflix evening. That's great, but that, that is only your choice. Now, some of this advice might at this point be seeming a bit contradictory. Live with intention, but also be open to change and likely lots of change in your career. But as Molly explains, and the Madcap Manifesto emphasizes, these two seemingly contradictory points are actually part of a larger argument about time how you spend your time, and how you conceptualize spending time more broadly. To Molly, time well spent is being fully present in the moment. The future, all of those what-ifs, projected scenarios, and potential dangers is imagined, but the present is real. And life is really a continuous process of trying to figure out exactly how to be most present for yourself. Madcap Factory and Cave Day center around processes of introspection, not prescription. You have to decide how you work intentionally, how you play intentionally. Others can help, but they can't take you all the way there, which applies to your career as well. These linear paths that musicians and academics find ourselves upon, envisioned for ourselves when we're in school or trying to find work, are prescribed. They're paved with things we should do, and what these things should look like, and the time frame that these things should be done by. A series of concrete bricks that offer no flexibility and don't take our unique identities and pasts and values into account. This is also why it seems particularly daunting when musicians or academics attempt to move off these paths. The paths are unwieldy, but the space around them doesn't tell us how to live our lives, and that's scary. But the whole point is that they shouldn't, because that's something only we can figure out for ourselves. Living with intention is personal. Molly is also quick to point out that changing careers doesn't mean starting anew every single time. Your path might not always seem straightforward in the moment, but you're building towards something, not demolishing your life with every change. A lot of the skills you acquire in the conservatory, for instance, can apply to other career paths. You learn skills from the beginning of how to be with a group, not necessarily how you gather and, you know, how, how you can invite people and make, make a group feel comfortable and how to facilitate, but you get that skill of being in front of and being comfortable with a group. At the same time, it's you know, when I was doing the more of the administrative work, um, I learned the the you know what happened behind the scenes. I learned I learned operations, and you know I learned how you know I 
I learned not necessarily the exact skills that I'm putting in place as a, as a small business owner, but um, I learned how to, you know, be pragmatic and logistic. So I think at the top of the of the, our conversation, I was saying, you know, stop looking at yourself as I am a musician. Yes, but how else, what else are you or how else can you identify? I'm a person who makes music. I also make this, I also do this. Like, um, I think uh, just looking at yourself as musician, it's, it's, uh, it's limiting. If you're wanting to be more entrepreneurial, you have to be your own, you know, you're your own business owner, so. We are musicians, we are academics, but we're also so much more than that. Keeping to one path for the rest of our lives or even restricting our imaginations when we think about what we might be able to do with our lives means we might miss opportunities, overlook other facets of our own identities. As Molly pointed out near the end of our discussion, career planning, in so much as we can plan our careers, should involve an element of discovery, should involve the freedom to explore directions that appear hazily but intriguingly in the distance. The unknown can be scary, but it's also necessary and has the potential to reveal new constellations of ways that you can spend your life. The only question remains, are you brave enough to explore? Today's episode was written and reported by Palace Catanella. She actually has a new project underway that's being funded in part by the IML Grant Mentorship Program, which is a companion podcast and website to the Working PhDs group that she mentioned at the top of the show. We're really excited to hear how that turns out, and we'll be sure to share a link to the Working PhDs podcast as soon as the first episode is ready. I'm so grateful to Palace and the incredible work that she did on this episode. Also, thanks to Molly Sonsteng for sharing her time and story with us. Uh, full disclosure, Molly is actually a friend of mine. Uh, she was in my wedding party and everything. We met and worked together at MSM, and now when we have time, we share photos of our toddlers, reading recommendations, and whatever else we can. Um, but truly, Molly is a top 10 human, uh, and you should definitely check out some of her websites uh, and learn more about things like Cave Day or Inconspicuous Games. Um, a link to Madcap Factory will be in the show notes. Today's episode was mixed by me. The transcript was reviewed and cleaned up by Emma Gearsall, and the episode was produced and scored by me and also contained music by Alexa Silverman. As always, if you have questions, comments, ideas for an episode, please contact us. We'd love to collaborate. 
And if you like this episode, share it with your friends and colleagues. That's a really great way to help us out. Now, go out, make art, do good work. From the IML, I'm Stephen Bigner. Until next time.